Well, preaching after a bunch of sermons by Pastor Rick is pretty intimidating. Because <laughs> he has been known as the dancing preacher around here. <laughs> and I got to be honest with a little moment of confession here. I was a little jealous. Because out of the two of us, I've had more dance lessons than he has. <laughs> and he's known as the dancing preacher. <laughs> and I thought, what could I do to top that? And I thought, I told him, I might just do some break dancing. To which he said, I've already done that. <laughs> so what, I, what could I do? So give a man a fish or teach him how to fish, right? I'm going to give you a dance lesson to start us off. <laughs> As we dive into Galatians this morning, the first thing to kind of prime our pump is I'm going to give you a dance lesson. And the very first dance lesson that you will ever receive, if you ever go anywhere to get dance lessons, is very boring. So it's not going to be anything too exciting, guys. You simply tap your foot, or you clap your hands, or, yep, there we go. Or you bounce up and down. That's a swing, swing dance. If you're learning to swing dance, you bounce like this. So, everyone think of a song. Think of a favorite song. Something that has a good beat. And then we're all going to clap to whatever song you're thinking of. <laughs> you <Yeah>, ready? <laughs> I've been waiting to try this for weeks. Let's see. <laughs> all right. Think of this song. All right. Ah. Oh, very good. All right. You completed your first dance lesson. Very good. <laughs> um, but did you notice that we weren't all on the same beat? <laughs> um, some of us were going faster, some of us were going slower. That's why they do that in your first dance lesson, is so that everyone kind of gets to know, here's how the beat of the song works. And if you don't get the rhythm of the song and the, and the beats, and the dance floor is going to be pretty chaotic. <laughs> People are going to be running into each other. Couples are going to be fighting. It's going to be crazy. And as we compare the book of Acts, what we've been learning from Pastor Rick the last few weeks, and our churches today, I don't know about you, but it seems like our churches today are a little bit more chaotic than the church back in the book of Acts. And I wonder if maybe the reason why that's the case is because in the early church, they were all clapping to the same beat. Their, their hearts were all captured by the same music. They were dancing synchronously, beautifully together. Is what we see in the book of Acts. And I wonder if in our church today, you know, there are different gospels being preached potentially across the world but even in churches that proclaim the same gospel truth who know the right things and the right doctrine and know the lyrics to the song of the gospel if perhaps the melody of the gospel has still not captured our hearts so that we are dancing the same beat together. 
Let's um, to kind of explain that and to dive into our text. We are going to be looking at Galatians 2, 11 through 14. You can turn there in your Bibles or in your phones. Because there we encounter somebody who it says got out of step with the truth of the gospel. Who knew the truth of the gospel, but in some manner got out of step with it. And this guy, you have already met, if you've been coming here and listening to Pastor Rick, this guy's name is Peter. Peter, Cephas in our text, you know, the guy who preached the Pentecost sermon, the guy who raised the lame man and who opposed the religious leaders and who also confronted Ananias and Sapphira, this very bold man led by the Spirit. And we see in this text today that he is actually the one who comes out of step with the gospel. So this is Galatians 2, 11 through 14. This is what Paul says about the situation that Peter encounters. It says, but when Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? That is the word of the Lord this morning. So what's the big deal? <laughs> That's my first question. We have three questions to answer of this text. And the first one is, what is the big deal here? <laughs> Why is it that Paul is so moved in this scene to stand up before a group of people and confront Peter to his face? <laughs> and say, you're not living in step with the gospel. What's the big deal? Is this like a, a case of good old high school peer pressure? Like, hey, you know, the, I'm not sitting with the cool kids. I'm going to go sit with the cool kids. Which, by the way, kids, your parents struggle with that too. They're really good at hiding it, but they do. <laughs> I do too. Um, but I don't know if that is necessarily it. Um, because peer pressure is not always a mark of not living out of the gospel, and certainly not what Paul seems to say in verse 14 here. Um, the words that he uses don't seem to be necessarily lining up with that situation. So what, what is going on here? In order to look at that, we have to look at this particular people here mentioned called the circumcision party. Now, without going into any of the gory details, this particular group basically claimed that in order to be a good Christian, you had to be circumcised. And they took this very this tradition, this law in the Old Testament that Jesus had fulfilled by being cut off for the people on the cross, and they said, no, this still applies today, and in fact, in order to be a good Christian, you have to follow it. And you can imagine that there might be situations in the church where that actually still happens where there is a good rule or a good tradition and we measure people to that standard. 
I came up with a list of my own today about myself, a um, list of ways that I make myself feel good using rules, traditions, things that I've been brought up with that aren't necessarily rules from scripture. They're just things that I think are good and make myself look good as a Christian that make myself feel good. Um, arriving on time to church, being reverent in the church service, going to church every week, being part of a small group, volunteering to serve, putting food in the blessing box, getting a lot of work done in my job, managing my money well, being generous with my money, having people over to my house, doing a daily quiet time. We could keep going on if you wanted to, but um, notice that none of those things are really bad things. But let's take doing a daily devotional quiet time with the Lord. If I don't do that, I feel really bad about myself. I feel like I'm not a good Christian. In fact, it's harder for me the next day to do one because I feel like I have to kind of work back up to that standard. But if I do do one really well, and if I be, am very consistent, I feel really good about myself as a Christian and my relationship with God. And I may, in fact, be tempted to look down on people who struggle with not doing their devotions very well. You see how that works? That is kind of how the circumcision party worked. Is they had this thing that they followed, and they were really good at it, and they looked down a little bit on those who did not. Now, Peter. Peter is an interesting guy, because he's a Jew. <laughs> But he has learned a lot of things through his walk with Jesus. And he actually has learned so much that he now eats with Gentiles, which is a big deal. <laughs> In the day, eating with somebody wasn't just, hey, I'm hanging out with these people. It means I am at peace with you. I approve of you. We are on good terms, which is why when Jesus was like eating with tax collectors, prostitutes, the scum of society, people were like, Jesus, how could you do that? That is terrible. Peter learns from his master that you can be at peace with those who do not necessarily look the same way or adhere to the same standards that you do. And he, so he eats with these Gentiles. But then the circumcision party comes in. And what he does is he stands up. He walks away, which in that society would have been the equivalent of saying, I am no longer at peace with you. Uh, because these guys came in, I'm no longer approving of what you're doing. I'm actually approving of what they are saying, which what they are saying is that you're not good enough. You're not good enough to be with us. Do you see the problem in that? To these two groups of Christians, one looks down on the other, and Peter decides to go with this one other group so that is why Paul says in verse 14 that you, Peter, in essence, what you're doing is forcing Gentiles to live like Jews. By making, by this one action, you're, making, you're forcing them to do that. You're saying, man, you're not, you're not as good if you're not circumcised. You're not as good if, if you don't do your daily Bible time. You're not as good if you don't dress the same way that I do. You're not as good if you don't look the same way that I do when I'm worshiping at church. See how it works? So that's 
the big deal. <laughs> but how could Peter possibly do such a thing? That's my second question. <laughs> this is Peter, who is like the bold guy, the Pentecost preacher, you know, the, the guy who lays the lame guy <laughs> and who confronted Ananias and Sapphira. How could he slip in such a way? I think that's rather encouraging, actually. <laughs> because I don't know about you, but I, I struggle. <laughs> and I have a hard time dancing in melody with the gospel all the time. And Peter missteps here. Now, does he not know the right thing to do? Is this one of those situations where you should have known better, Peter? I don't think so, because in Galatians 2, 7 through 8, Peter, Paul goes through great lengths to say that, Peter, you, we're on the same page. We're given the same spirit to minister, and we are um, under the same gospel, preaching the same gospel. They are on the same wavelength when it came, comes to the gospel. They know the same truths. They know the lyrics of the gospel. But Peter is not captured at that moment by the melody. He missteps to a different melody. And why would he do that? Again, he's, it's not because he doesn't know what to do. The, the text actually says why, actually. It says in verse 12 that he feared the circumcision party. It was because of fear. Or was it because he was afraid that the circumcision party might persecute him or beat him up? I, I don't think so. I mean, Peter's not one guy, a guy to be afraid of such things, if you can keep me up with him. But I think what he is feeling is this fear of failing a people whose opinion he highly respects. As a Jew, he highly respects these other Jewish leaders. And he's afraid that their opinion of him is actually going to match something that he deeply fears about himself. Let me illustrate with this kid's story. One of my favorites is Punchinello. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard of the story of Punchinello, but um, there's the title of it by Max Licato. And Punchinello is a little wooden character. It's called a winnick. And this, these Wimmick people, they spend their day going around giving people stickers. And some people get gold stickers because those are the people who do things really well, they're very shiny, they have the cool clothes, they get lots of likes on their Instagram. That wasn't in the book, but <laughs> they, they look really good. And so they get gold stars. And then there are also people who get gray circles. And you get a gray circle if somebody sees you trip or fall, get chipped, have scars, look not like the others. And Punchinello is a Wimmick that only has gray circles. That is the only thing that he wears on his self is the gray circles. And the story goes that after a while, he had so many dots that he didn't want to go outside. He was afraid he would do something dumb, such as forget his hat or step in the water, and then people would give him another dot. 
the wooden people would agree with one another, he's not a good wooden person. And after a while, Punchinello believed them. See what happened there? Punchinello so feared the opinion of these other people because he is afraid that what they would say would actually confirm what he desperately fe does not want to believe about himself, that he's worthless, unlovable. And I wonder if in our story in Galatians, if Peter joins in with the circumcision party because he is afraid that they will tell, them, tell him what he desperately what doesn't want to believe about himself, that he's denied Jesus too many times. We know Peter's story. <laughs> you know what happened. And I wonder if we in our society all have that same desperate fear, the fear of being unlovable, the fear of being worthless. And that is why we parade gold stars around. <laughs> we parade all of the things that we do, our best accomplishments, our new purchases, our outstanding academic performances, our kids, um, everything that's good, potentially even our devotional times <laughs> and our confession can be made to look good. <laughs> and we display that before everyone else. And since we have given each other so many gold stars, <laughs> thumbs up, <laughs> I wonder if we've subtly given into a culture that also gives away gray circles. Maybe. If I were to diagram out and talk about this in the terms of a dance, <laughs> And the way that our culture seems to dance is that there is a four-step dance going on in the melody that Peter gets caught up in in this passage. You ready for this? First step, insecurity. I am worthless. I am unlovable. I can't. I am a failure. I wonder that's where that cultural melody starts. <laughs> and then the next step in that dance move then is to fear failure. <laughs> so that now I am afraid, desperately afraid of messing up because I'm afraid that it will confirm my first step. <laughs> so I'm fear of failing. And then my next step then is I then boast about my achievements. <laughs> and I make myself look good. And I do everything that I can to put on a happy face and a smile and a good look for my social media. And then it's not too far until we take that final step of judging others, looking down upon them for not looking the way that I do when I put up my face. You see how that four-step dance goes? Four-step dance. And that, I think, is the melody that Peter falls back into in this passage. So what is the solution? Third question, what do we do? <laughs> and I don't know about you, but if I was Paul and I saw Peter, I'd give him a good theology book. <laughs> Be like, hey, this is how we, what we think about judging people and about the gospel. But we already claim that, you know, Peter already knows what, what's going on. So a theology book might not 
be what you need. And if somebody is dancing off beat, I don't go up to them and start pounding their foot to the right move. <laughs> That's not how I do it. I play the song. I play the right song over and over and over again until that melody gets so stuck in my head <laughs> that I can't help but tap my foot to it. And that is why Paul, in the book of Galatians, what he is doing is he is playing that melody over and over for the, book, for the people in Galatia. And that he goes on, if you're following in chapter 2, after this story, to talk about the gospel. That we know that a person, this is verse 16, is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith and not by works of the law. I'm going to pause here. We all know that. <laughs> justification by faith. Big words, but they mean justified, never sinned, just as if I'd always obeyed for all because of Christ's blood shed for me. That's what justification means. And I think most of us would probably say that we believe in that. We believe that one is made right with God only through faith and not in anything that we do. I think we would agree with that. But if we do, why do I always seem to have to make myself look right before God, before others? Why do I have to keep putting on that face? Why do I keep slipping back into that cultural dance that we just talked about? because I don't know the melody of that song. I know the lyrics, I know the doctrine, but my heart hasn't been captured yet. <laughs> it hasn't produced such great joy that I just automatically beat to that rhythm <laughs> of the gospel. Let's look at Punchinello again. <laughs> maybe he'll help us think through that song, and maybe he'll get our hearts tapping a little bit to that right beat. Punchinello, the story continues, meets another uh, Wemmick. Her name was Lucy. And Lucy doesn't have any stickers on her. None at all. And Punchinello's like, how is this possible? I've been getting gray circles all my, all of my life, and I still have them right here. And she's like, I go every day to see Eli. Who's Eli? Eli's the woodcarver. I go every day. You should go see him. Punchinello's like, okay, I will. Asks directions, goes over to Eli's house. Here's the conversation. I love this. Eli says, looks like you've been given some bad marks, Punchinello. Punchinello says, oh, I don't mean to, Eli. I've tried really hard. I've tried really hard. <laughs> oh, you don't have to defend yourself to me, child. I don't care what the other Wimmicks think. You don't? No. And you shouldn't either. Who are they to give stars and dots? They're Wemmicks just like you. What they think doesn't matter, Punchinello. All that matters is what I think. I think you're pretty special. Punchinello laughed. Ha! Me <laughs> special? Why, I can't walk fast, I can't jump, I don't look good, my pain is peeling. Why do I matter to you? Eli looked at Punchinello 
put his hands on those small wooden shoulders and spoke very slowly. Because you're mine, that's why you matter to me. Now, there's a doctrine of sin and the cross and all that that is missing in that story. But it does remind me of Deuteronomy 7, which is a fun passage. I love this passage. Because God is reminding his people before they go into the promised land who they are and what their relationship with them is supposed to look like. And God tells them that it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But why does he love them? It is because the Lord loves you that he loves them. And is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So let me clarify all that we've done here. Where the cultural melody starts off with me thinking, I am worthless, I am unlovable, <laughs> I am a failure. The gospel note actually starts with saying, yeah, but you are loved. <laughs> and why are you loved? Deuteronomy 7, because you are loved. <laughs> That's why you're loved. Why does God love you? Because he loves you. <laughs> and he loves you no matter what. Now, that's why Paul says in Galatians 2 that we're justified not by works, but by faith. Because faith means this. Receiving. <laughs> faith means receiving. Not doing, but receiving. <laughs> so... What do we do to earn God's love? Nothing. Nothing at all. He loves you because he loves you. <laughs> I was once asked by a mentor of mine while I was struggling with a particular sin, and he just asked me, Matthew, he didn't like rebuke me for this or anything. He didn't say, here, read this book, or let's really go into some deep confessional time of prayer. He said, Matthew, do you think that anything you do changes the way that God thinks about you? And I said, well, I think he might think a little bit better of me if I told some people about him, or if I confessed this more, or if I stopped doing this more. And he said, Matthew, nothing you do can change God's attitude towards you. <laughs> nothing because he loves you. And why does he love you? Because he loves you. <laughs> or I think about a woman that I knew in um, South Carolina. She was married to an elder in our church. And she just said that instead of confronting her husband about all the things that she had wrong with him and uh, her children about all the things that she could correct her children about, and she does correct well and parent well and mentor well and challenge her husband on things. But before she does any of that, you know what she does? <laughs> she prays, Father, pray that my husband would believe the gospel more. <laughs> pray that my kids would believe more that they are loved. Because that's where real change happens. We are only able to love 
because we realize that he first loved us. <laughs> That's the truth of that statement. Or I think about our cultural climate today where we uh, have an upcoming election, I think, and I think there are some people a little bit in a tizzy about it. <laughs> And there are some people who have their hopes set on one candidate and some people who have their hopes set on another candidate that these people are going to change America. But isn't there only one way to truly change people? <laughs> isn't there only one hope for America and that is the gospel? People falling in love with our Savior. So let me go back to that cultural dance that we started off there with. We started off with this insecurity about God's love, or about any love, that we're worthless. And it led to all sorts of things, like boasting about ourselves, and judging other people, and all sorts of things. And that's not the dance that we would want our church or our culture to look like. It looks like chaos, right? Everyone's clapping at a different beat. <laughs> what is the melody of the gospel? What does that dance lead us to? Well, it starts out, instead of insecurity, it starts out with security on God, in God's love, knowing without a shadow of a doubt that God loves you because he loves you. And Paul actually models this in the book of Galatians. He starts out, the very first sentence is that Paul was sent by God. He was loved by God and that um, Jesus gave himself for us to deliver us from the present evil age. That's how he starts the book, is that I am secure in God's love and his mission for me is calling on my life. This is how Paul counteracts Peter's dance. He gives it a, his own dance. <laughs> and he starts out there. I am secure. God, I know God loves me. And then he moves on, and instead of fearing failure, the dance actually leads to confessing failure. And we don't have to hide anymore. <laughs> we can now confess to others our failures. And he goes on to talk about how he persecuted in his former life the church. And he was one of those Jewish people who was zealous about the traditions of our fathers, he says in verse 14, in chapter 1. He was able to confess that. And then, because he was able to confess that, he's now able to not boast in his own achievements, but then boast in God's achievements in his life. Because he then goes on to say, but God... <laughs> saved me, was pleased to reveal his son to me, verse 16. He set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace. That's what God did. And so instead of boasting about what we do every day, we get to boast about what God does every day. Because <laughs> he's greater and gooder than any of us. <laughs> gooder is not even a word. It's better. <laughs> um, that's the third step of our dance. And then finally, instead of judging others, guess what this dance leads to? leads to speaking the truth in love, loving others, which Paul does right here in our passage. He speaks the truth in love to Peter, <laughs> and not in a way that is 
building ditches. You know, a lot of people speak the truth in order to build gaps. <laughs> Paul speaks the truth in order to build bridges. And the love. <laughs> if the gospel melody really captured our hearts, if we truly believed that God loves us because he loved us, would this be what our churches looked like? Wouldn't this be what our culture looked like? I am so bad at this. <laughs> Peter misstepped. I'm sure Paul did too. <laughs> but he loves you. And he loves you because he loves you. So church, what's our challenge today to seize the day? Do I want you um, to go out and change the chaos of our culture? <laughs> Confront the constant judgmentalism that we face in our society? My challenge to you is to look into the deep caverns of your heart and see where do you not believe that he loves you? Where is that hard for you to accept by faith. Because only then, only then will we start dancing that dance. <laughs> Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love. That you love us because you made us. And you love us because you love us. No other reason. Reach down in our hearts. Convince us that it's true. So that we can do nothing else but overflow with the love that you have shown us. Thank you so much for all you have done. In your name. Amen.